Welcome back, everyone, to the Shred Takes Podcast Show, brought to you by me, Mike Shredder. I hope you guys are doing well, and I appreciate you guys tuning back into the show. I'm really excited to talk about the, today's topic, which is basically I'm going to be breaking down the Sweet 16 as the games are going to be playing tonight and should be great ones, right? I, I think they're going to be good games. I think these, this Sweet 16 this year is, is really highly entertaining based on the fact that there's so many upsets and Cinderella's within the Sweet 16. And I think for people, it's important to understand that, you know, the March Madness is the best time of the year for, I think, sports generally. It's the most exciting. It has the most headlines and interesting stories. It really gets you in love with the idea of the underdog. And it really shows you exactly how preparation matters and consistency matters once you get to a big stage. So I have, I'm obviously going gonna, gonna to break down every game for you guys quickly and then give you my winners, why I think certain teams are going to win and what I kind of see going on in that situation so we're going to start with the games tonight right so the games tonight just to kind of put into context for everyone um the games are are thursday and friday and it's going to be interesting you got you got villanova and you have michigan tonight you got gonzaga and arkansas you have Duke and Texas Tech, and um, I believe you also have Kansas and Providence. I think that's tomorrow. Uh, you have Houston and Arizona tonight, and then tomorrow is St. Peter's versus Purdue, Providence versus Kansas, North Carolina versus UCLA, and Iowa State versus Miami. So, look, it's, it's going to be really exciting, I think, right? But I want to break down the games tonight, and then I'm also going to break down the games quickly for tomorrow as well. Um, and just and kind of talk a little bit about those. So, so to start with the games tonight, right? We got Houston, Arizona. We got Villanova, Villanova, and um, Michigan, and then we have Texas Tech, Duke, and Gonzaga, Arkansas, right? So I, I'm going to start off with Villanova, Michigan, because that's the first game, right? This this is an interesting situation, right? Michigan is a team that's 19 and 14 on the year. They didn't perform well in the Big Ten tournament. They had all of the, you know, headlines with the suspension of Coach Jawan Howard, who seems to obviously have mended that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, your emotions get the best of you in a situation. And, you know, it's important just to understand that, you know, the, the players had his back. Ever since their loss, they, they turned the new page. They finally have started to figure out a way to play the, effectively. They just beat Tennessee, who was a sleeper pick to get to the NCAA championship for a lot of people. I personally had them losing to Villanova in the Sweet 16. But, you know, looking at this just from an angle, right, Michigan has been a, a major surprise. But they also have one of the most talented teams in the country on paper, right? They were a preseason top 10 team in the country. So, so they have the talent to put together. Just, they just haven't played consistently with it. So write down a little bit about them. Hunter Dickinson has had 21 points and 27 points in his tournament games. 21 against Colorado State, 27 against Tennessee. And, you know, he's obviously a load, right? You give, he's averaging 18 and a half and eight rebounds a game. You give him the ball in the low post, you know, he's going to get to his left hand. He's seven foot one. He's very strong. He, he's, he's, he's a load down there. It's very difficult to stop him from doing what he wants to do in the post. So he's a really difficult matchup down there. You got Moisa Diabate, who's capable of shooting threes and, and attacking the glass and posting up. He's 6'10". He's athletic. You know, he can play in the open floor pretty well. Caleb Houston can shoot the three. Five-star recruit, very talented offensive player. 
You have Eli Brooks, who's also a, you know, a well-seasoned guy who's done a lot of good things for Michigan in the, in just the time that he's been there. And look right there, they bought in and their biggest thing that they have the advantage in this, in this game tonight is the fact of that they're a lot bigger um, than Villanova, right? And they probably are you know, slightly more athletic overall. Um, you know, Villanova's got some good athletes as well, but, you know, the size advantage is definitely going to go to Michigan. And Michigan, again, has used that size effectively in their first two games. And I think that's important, right? But the issues they do have is they're not always consistent, right? That, you know, it's based off their record. They were not very consistent this year. And they don't really force turnovers defensively, right? And against Villanova, you kind of have to do that because Villanova is not going to beat themselves. You're going to have to beat Villanova because they're not going to turn the ball over. And on Villanova's side, right, obviously you look at Villanova. They're a team that is top 15 in offensive efficiency this year. Um, I think that when I looked at the rankings and team rankings, they're 14th in offensive efficiency. You look at the fact that also Villanova has Colin Gillespie, who's right now rated as one of the best point guards in the country, the Big East player of the year. Justin Moore, who's an incredible offensive player. He can shoot for three, get to the basket, very poised. Jermaine Samuels, who does a lot of the great dirty work for the team. You know, cable three-point shooter, can guard multiple positions, get to the rim. Really seasoned, smart guy who's been there for a long time and knows the Villanova way. You know, Eric Dixon obviously brings a lot of, you know, that kind of inside toughness that they need. Caleb Daniels brings that spark plug off the bench. And Brandon Slater is a guy who can play both ends of the court very effectively for Villanova. So, okay, so who, so who do I pick in this game? I have to go with Villanova based on the fact that they have the least amount of holes that you look at, right? Michigan is going to keep this game very close because of the fact that they're very big and they're athletic, right? But I do think that you look at Villanova, Villanova is not going to beat themselves. And I think also the fact that they've been in games in the Big East tournament where they, they didn't play well and still found ways to win has found a way to kind of transfer over to these games that they played now, right? You look at their game against Ohio State, obviously they didn't have a great, you know, period in the second half and still came out to win that game. So I look at Villanova, and I think they slightly win this game based on the fact that Michigan's not going to turn them over. I think they're going to find a way to double down on Dixon in the post. Dixon's probably going to still have a good game, but if you hold them to about 15 points, you have a good chance to win. And I think limiting the other guys is going to be important, and Villanova does defend the three pretty well, and they do rebound pretty well for a team that is undersized. So I, I like Villanova in this matchup. The second game I want to talk about is Texas Tech versus Duke. Right, This is, I think, a very highly anticipated matchup. Texas Tech just beat Notre Dame. Duke just beat Michigan State. And look, obviously, the, the, the rumor around it is you look at Coach K, this being his kind of his final game, you know, possibility, right, of his career, right? But Coach K is retiring at the end of the season, right? So you obviously have that, you know, in that mold of kind of the, the idea of looking at this game, you know, from that lens. With that being said, I'm going to break down these teams quickly, right? For Duke, obviously, you know, Paulo Bencaro, who's been shooting over 60% in his last four games, averaging around 18 and a half points his last four games, averaging about a little over 17 on the year and about seven and a half rebounds. So you look at the fact that he shot 31 of 49 over the last four games. You have Wendell Moore, a guy that you can trust a 13 point a game score. Mark Williams, who's a very good shot blocker and a guy that gives you about 10 to 15 points a night if it needed to be. Jeremy Roach has been coming on really strong of late. And Trevor Keels has still averaged about 11 and a half points a game despite being a little inconsistent even though I think he's a very talented player. Duke is one of the more talented teams in the country. But, and, it's, and, it's, and it's evident by their numbers, right? Offensively, they were fifth in offensive efficiency this year. They won the regular season title in the ACC, and they have some big wins, right? They, they've, they've knocked off Kentucky. They've knocked off Gonzaga. 
right? They, they, they have beaten and they, and they beat North Carolina at North Carolina by a lot, right? So they, they are a team that, you know, when capable is, is one of the best teams you'll see out there. But their biggest issues has been their consistency, their defense. I mean, their defense is not that great. They don't turn the people over like they did at the end of the year. And they're 88th in defensive efficiency. Um, and I also think the fact is they're really dependent on paint points. The reason they beat Michigan State was because of, of getting into the paint, right? They can hit the three, right? But it's all out of Paulo Bencaro being aggressive and the other guys kind of taking charge outside of that, right? They have offensive talent. But again, they can't really play in a low-scoring game that effectively. They did against Notre Dame. But Notre Dame, I, you know, again, right, that was a game that Notre Dame played as bad as it's played offensively all year and was trying to still figure out how to play with success. And I think they did that better the later part of the year, right? So I look at Duke, and I think that Duke is, is, is obviously an incredibly talented team, but they do have the youth issue, closing out games. And I think the fact is, you know, being able to play in a low-scoring game in a, in, a low, in a game of low possessions, that kind of, you know, bodes a, a little bit in their in an unfavorable position for the Blue Devils. Now you look at Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, right? New coaching change with Mark Adams as Chris Beard went to Texas, and people wondered how that was going to go. And it actually has turned out to be really good. Texas Tech got to the Big 12 championship game. Um, right now they're in the Sweet 16, obviously, because of just a couple of things, right? They're, they, you know, the experience of Kevin McCuller. But I think you look at guys like Bryson Williams, right? Bryson Williams has been fantastic since he, he transferred over. He's their leading scorer. He's about he's a six eight power forward, but he plays a center position for them, right? He's he's a forty percent three point shooter. He averages about fourteen points in the year, and he he can take you off the dribble. He is very good in the low post. I mean, he's he's a low down there just because he's got good footwork and good touch, and he has the ability to face you up and drive on you and get into his moves that that way. He he's despite despite being the fact that he's six foot eight, he's two hundred forty pounds. He's pretty quick. He's nimble, and he does a good job there. You also look at the fact that they have, you know, Kevin O'Banner who can rebound at a high level, you know, when needed to do it. He can shoot the three, he can post up smaller defenders. You have Terrence Shannon Jr., good guard, been there for a couple of years, understands how to be effective. McCullough obviously has been on that. He was on that national championship team. Um, sorry, the team that got to the national championship back in 2019. So they have that experience. Obviously, they're, they're, their team struggles offensively, right? They're 93rd in offensive efficiency. They don't score a lot of points to beat you, right? The game against Montana State was a bit of an aberration. Um, against Notre Dame, that was more like the Texas Tech that we're used to seeing. But the thing that's, that, that's their best calling card is they keep you on one side of the floor, and they're second in defensive efficiency according to team rankings. So I, I, I look at the fact that they make things really difficult on, on opposing offense because they keep you on one side of the floor, and they don't let you get easy shots. They don't let you get into the paints, you know, driving middle. They force everything baseline into one, again, on, uh, into one side where they can, you know, make sure there's shading help. And that, that helps their ball screen defense because there's less rotations involved. And that makes them a really tough, tough and difficult team to play against. So based on this, who do I like? I like Texas Tech to win this game. Um, I think Duke's a more talented team. I think Duke has, you know, the more NBA prospects on their team. But this is the case a couple of years ago is when Duke played Michigan State, when Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish were freshmen, when they played against Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman and then Aaron Henry and those guys, right? What, what, what was, you know, the big catalyst in that game was team basketball versus individual basketball. And Duke is pretty much an individual kind of team, right? I think Texas Tech is going to keep them on one side of the floor. I think they're going to build a wall-type defense on Paulo Bencaro, make things difficult for him. Right, Paul's going to have to knock down jumpers consistently. He's going to have to, um, unless he's willing to go in the post, which he's not always willing to do. 
what he, and then, which is crazy to me because he's got good post footwork. I mean, he wants to space the floor. I get it with when Mark Williams in the court, but Paul's going to have to be aggressive and they're, they're going to build, you know, a packed in defense on him specifically and make the other guys beat him. But they're also not going to just allow those other guys to go off. And again, right. They're a team that's very physical. And again, they, 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 they win through defense. And I think they're going to keep the game low scoring. And I think that's going to work in their favor. Now I'm now looking at the fact that you're going to look at Arizona and Houston, right? Arizona and Houston is an intriguing matchup. I, I, I picked both these teams to be in the sweet 16 and it's look, Arizona has looked very shaky, right? Barely beating TCU in overtime. TCU is a good team, but they're well coached by Jamie Dixon, but that's not really, you know, boding well for me, but I want to start with the pros for Arizona. Obviously they are a team that was, Really good all year. You have Benedict Matherin and Christian Coloco to lead the charge. You have Tubelis, who's who's was great in the regular season, but has kind of faded off a little bit recently in terms of his aggressiveness and in production. Um, you have guys like P.O. Larson. You have Kirk Kirisa. You have um, Terry also, right? So you, ha- you have good players. Um, and Arizona is very big and very talented and very athletic. But their problem is, I mean, look, even, even though their numbers support you know, good things, right? They're, they're, they're top 15 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Their problem has been the fact that, you know, that they, they have only, they've been, you know, a two person team in the NCAA tournament. They've been very inconsistent in terms of their role playing in terms of their defense too. teams are scoring them very easily. And Houston's a team that's top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. So, you know, their, their pros obviously is their size, their talent, their athleticism, the, the, the ability to score and defend in multiple ways. Um, and I think that it is what makes them very talented. However, on the other side, we got Houston, who's fourth in defense, ninth in offense. I got, you know, experienced players. You know, you look at guys like Kyler Edwards and Jamal Sneed and Fabian White and Tazi Moore and Josh Carlton, who all average nine, between nine and a half points and 14 points a game. So you have that on the offensive end. You have guys that, that buy into the fact that they're the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. And, you know, they won the last five games they played by 15 points or more, right? Obviously, both these teams won their, won their conference tournament, and, and they're both really good teams. But I look at the fact, in this game, I would pick Houston. And, you know, I think I thought Arizona was a, was a you know, national championship-type team. Based on the way they've looked, Houston's going to beat them uh, if, if they play like they have played. Because Houston has the experience, Houston has the consistency, and Houston – also can play in any type of game. Arizona, I think, can only really play in a track meet. Um, I, I saw them against Tennessee this year. They struggle when teams are a little bit physical with them, when Coloco can't do whatever he wants in the post and Tubelis can't do that. that and then it puts a lot of pressure on guys like Matherin to take over. And as you saw against Illinois, Houston will find a way to take away your number one option. So the other guys are going to have to beat you. And in case for Illinois, that didn't happen. I, I don't think Arizona's guys outside of Coloco have been consistent enough to take that away, right? And Carlton did a good job on, on Kofi Coburn, who's statistically the best post scorer in the country, more, more skilled than Coloco is. You know, Coloco is a good, very, very good player. So I, I, I look at this and I think, I think Houston's got the edge in this one. Um, and then for the last game tonight, we got Gonzaga and Arkansas, which I think is going to go to the, the, the Zags. But I'm going to break it down a little bit, right? Gonzaga's first in offensive efficiency. They're top five in defense. You look at the fact that they've had, so, you know, they have five guys in double figures and Drew Timmy, Andrew Nemhard, Chet Holmgren, Razier Bolton, and Julius Strother, right? You look at the fact they won both games. They did look a little shaky against Memphis and against Georgia State, but they did get it done. 
their pros is they have really good talent. They have good size. You know, they, they can explode offensively at any time. Then they, they can also, they, they, again, they, they can basically play at their pace throughout because they always play fast. And they can defend, right? They play, they play better defense than they did, did a year ago based on the fact that Chet Holmgren is one of the best shot blockers in the country. Their cons is, is that physical teams do give them problems. I mean, Memphis give them a problem based on that. You know, athletic teams do give them a little bit of an issue. And, um, you know, the fact is, you know, Chet Holmgren, despite the fact that he, you know, is a very good prospect, he, you know, he, he, his, his lean frame sometimes hurts him in, in a sense of being, you know, more imposing on the offensive end. So it puts a lot more pressure on guys like Drew Timmy to have to take over the game, right? So um, that's it. But for, for Arkansas, um, Arkansas is 106th in the offensive efficiency. They're not great offensively. Um, I guess they're not consistent offensively. Tw- they're 24th in defensive efficiency. As you saw against New Mexico State, they can really guard and make things difficult for you. Um, you look at the fact that they have six guys in their team who average more than eight points, uh, led by JT Note, who's one of the more explosive guards in the country. And, you know, they're a team that, that really competed well in the SEC. They play great in transition. I think you look at the fact that also they, from my angle, you know, they do struggle from three. So making shots for them, they sometimes get a little stagnant, and it makes it hard for them to win. And I do think that they are a really effective team, though, overall. I mean, obviously, they're going to be a four seed if they weren't. So here's what I think. Gonzaga's going to win this game because I, I just think they're, they're way too deep and way too good offensively for Arkansas to stay in this game. Arkansas, I don't think, shoots it well enough. Um, and I just don't think Arkansas is careful enough offensively and talented enough offensively to be able to stay in a game with Gonzaga, right? Memphis played really well. And I would argue that Arkansas does have more talent. But I do think that Gonzaga is just way too offensively talented. And it's really hard to beat them. There are certain teams who can definitely defend them well enough. I just don't think they have a ma- matchup that's really favorable for them to stop Drew Timmy. And if you, if you don't do that, you still have to you know, deal with Chet Holmgren, Nemhard, Razier Bolin, and Strother, who can all go off at any time themselves. So that's what I think about that game. Now, in terms of Friday's matchups, um, just to start out, obviously, we have UNC-UCLA, right? UNC, in my opinion, has looked like what, they're the best team in the tournament when put all together. Obviously, against Baylor, they kind of came apart at the end of that game. But they lost Brady Manic to that questionable ejection call. And when, they're, when they fight their full squad, they are, are beating teams by 20-plus points. And UCLA, obviously, is a very good team as well. But they might not have Hame Hakez on Friday, right? Which I think he's going to play, but they may not have him because of his ankle injury. And Johnny Juzang just came off a good game, basically. And he's still, I think, getting back from that ankle injury that kind of kept him out for a while. So you look at that team. I mean, UCLA is really experienced, right? Talking about them a little bit. They're 19th in offensive efficiency. You know, last year they made it to the Final Four. They have great players in terms of Johnny Juzang and Tiger Campbell and um, Jules Bernard. And obviously, if Hawkins is there, Hami Hawkins is a really talented player, obviously, as well, and a matchup problem for a lot of teams as well. But from UNC's angle, you know, they're, they're great offensively. In the latter part of the year, they're 11-2 and two in the last 13 games, and that was really because they, they played pretty solid defense, but they were really, really good offensively. Um, you look at the fact that R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Armando Bacon, and Brady Manick all average about 14 points or more. So that really makes them dangerous offensively. You have four guys in the court who all can score at an elite level. That's really, really difficult to beat a team like that, um, especially if they get going. 
you look at Leaky Black, right? He only averages about six points a game, but he is a guy that's a superb defender, can guard multiple positions. They always put him on the best perimeter guy on the other team. And that makes it really difficult, obviously, right? They're going to probably put him on a guy like Johnny Juzang. And he, he's six, six or six, seven, really. I think Leaky Black's at six, seven, long arms, athletic, you know, moves his feet really well. And that's what's helped UNC because they've, they've been able to play good defense, even though, you know, a flag, flagger, flagler from Baylor had a good game. He shot 10 of 25 from the floor to get his 27 points. So you have to give kudos to Leaky Black on that in, in that sense. But, yeah, I mean, UCLA obviously has, the, has a good defense. They have talent. They, you know, Mick Cronin's done a great job there ever since he's been there. So who wins this game? I look at the fact that UNC, I think, is going to win this game. Um, I, I think Hawkins will not be 100% even if he plays. It, you know, if he doesn't play, I definitely think UNC wins. But I think UNC's just got too much offensive firepower. I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're playing well at the right time. And I think that, they, you know, they're, they're a dangerous team. And the fact that they beat Duke as handily as they did, you know, this team's going to be a dangerous team. And I think that, you know, you look at the fact that if Hawkins was 100% healthy, I would take UCLA. But I don't know about its health. And they're going to attack him defensively with putting Brady Manick, you know, in a lot of pick-and-pop situations and moving him off, you know, baseline you know, cuts and stuff like that for three, especially when they run their pick-and-roll actions with Baycott. So I like UNC to win this matchup and advance to the Elite Eight. Purdue and St. Peter's. Okay, break it down. St. Peter's has been the Cinderella of the tournament, right? They beat Kentucky, and they beat Murray State, right? They're a very good basketball team. You know, they are a top 10 defense in the entire country, but they're outside of 200 in offensive efficiency. But that being said, the reason why their defense is so good is led by Casey Nadefo, who has 90 block shots in the year, right? He's one of the best shot blockers in the country at six foot seven. He blocks a lot of shots. He's really effective at it. And he gives you about 11 points in the offensive end. Um, Daryl Banks is, is averaging 11.4 points a game. Then you got Doug Eater, who's averaging about 9.7 points a game, who scored 20 points and 13 points in his last two games. So he's done a really good job of being aggressive and being consistent when he came off the bench. Um, and you look at Purdue, you look at the fact that they have a lottery pick in Jaden Ivey, who's been fantastic all year, averaging about 17 and a half points a game, a little more than that. Dak Eady gives you 14.4 and about eight and a half rebounds. Travion Williams, who gives you about, you know, almost 13 points a game and about seven, eight rebounds. And then you have guys like Mason Gillis, um, Norton off the bench, uh, Morton. Um, so, so you have, you have, and, and you have, you know, also Hunter as well. So, you, so you ha they have a very, very talented team as well. And they, they're one of the more talented teams in the country. Purdue's issue is obviously defensively. They're not a good defensive team. Uh, they struggle in pick and rolls because Edie and, and Williams are not the greatest ball screen defenders. However, they are really talented offensively because they throw it inside. Those guys can easily score on anyone. And then you also look at the fact that Jaden Ivey can score anytime he wants. In the open court, he's just unguardable. There's nothing you can do. He's too athletic. He's too, you know, you know too good with, with the ball. And his straight line speed is just second to none in the country. So who wins this game? I like Purdue. I think Purdue's size is just going to be too much for St. Peter's to handle. I think that the fact is they're going to struggle on the glass. I think Jaden Ivey's speed is going to be overwhelming as well. Purdue's just got too many options offensively, and I just don't think St. Peter's scores it well enough to win that game. So that's just the way I look at it. Now, Iowa State and Miami. So these, this is the 11th seed Iowa State who just came off a win against Wisconsin, then Miami who just beat Auburn. Right, So this is going to be an interesting breakdown. You look at the fact that Iowa State, they're a top-five defensive team. They had two wins off last year. They're 2-20 back in 2021. This year, they 
they've been a lot better, a lot better. And so you look at the fact that they held Wisconsin to their worst field goal percentage of the year. Worst field goal percentage, right? You have Isaiah Brock and Tinder average about 17 points a game. Tyrese Hunter, who averages about 11 points a game. So, they look, they're not a very good offensive team. Both their games they played, they've won in the 50s, right? They're a top-five defensive team. That's how they win basketball games. That's why they have a lot of quad-one wins. I, I And then you look at Miami on the other hand. Miami will spread you out offensively. They go five out. Jim Laranega, obviously, you know, Hall of Fame head coach, great coach, one of the better coaches in the country. Look at the fact that they have Cameron Augusta gives you 17.5 points a game. They have Isaiah Wong, who gives you about 15.5 points a game. And then you have Charlie Moore and Jordan Miller, both double-digit scores. And, you know, obviously, you know, their strengths is they're, they're really hard to guard on defense because they, they, they just – their offense is really hard to stop. They, they spread you out. They have, you know, smaller players who can take you off the dribble. And that's really t- difficult to guard and, you know, negate, I think, in a sense, right? Because Iowa State plays traditional bigs. That's a hard thing to combat. Um, their, their weakness, though, is they even though they turn people over, which is w- one of their benefits, they aren't really a good defensive team. If te- Teams can score on them pretty easy because of their size. So who do I think wins this game? I think Miami. I think Miami's offense is too explosive. I think Miami is, is you know, one of the more dangerous teams in the field just because the way they play. They're a matchup problem for a lot of teams to play against. So I look at Miami. I think Miami is, is a matchup issue for sure. Um, and lastly, we're going to look at Kansas and Providence. Kansas won the Big 12, 58th in defense, 18th in offense. OG Abaji, 19.3 points a game. Christian Braun having a great year. Then you have three other players who are averaging more than eight points, right? That's Jalen Wilson, David McCormick, and Remy Martin. And the fact that Remy Martin's back healthy, that really helps him out, Right. They've, they, they, look, Kansas, I think is not, I think they're the worst one seed um, left in the field, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I just, I, I don't think they're, they're as good as people think they are. With that being said, though, I, I do think they have a lot of talent still. And the fact that they played the Big 12 and won the Big 12 shows, I think, their level of play. They have multiple guards that can score. I mean, their only thing they're really they're suspect about is the fact that. They're not an elite-level defensive team, and their big men are suspect, right? Dave McCormick's incredibly inconsistent. Same thing with Mitch Lightfoot. He brings good minutes off the bench, but they're both incredibly inconsistent, um, which against Nate Watson, you know, Nate, Providence has got the advantage in terms of big men, right? If you look at Providence, they won the Big East regular season title. They had, you know, a really easy road to the Sweet 16, right? They beat South Dakota State. They beat Richmond, right? They, they beat two teams who were double-digit seeds who were not nearly as talented as they were. Um, they're 79th in defensive efficiency and offensive efficiency, but they've been playing really good defense in the NCAA tournament. That's why they're winning games. They've been playing really, really good defense, elite-level defense. They held both opponents, you know, below 50, uh, below 60 points. So, I mean, that's, that, that's impressive in its own right. And, you know, South Dakota State was, one, it was the second-best offense in the country, actually the best offense in the country. Um, outside of Gonzaga, so second best. And they held them to 57 points. This team averages, you know, close to 80 points a game. Um, and they're, le- they're led by Nate Watson, Al Durham Jr., and Jared Bynum. And they also have had really good contributions for Noah Horkor. He's had 13 points and 16 points in his last two NCAA tournament games. And guys like Justin Manaya and um, Croswell bring good minutes as well. You know, Manaya's a great defender. He can hit an open three. He brings some good size for you. And then you have also have A.J. Reeves, right, who's a – you know, capable score as well, but he's also inconsistent. Their con is, is that 
they get stagnant offensively. You know, I think that, you know, at times defensively, they can get a little inconsistent. And the fact is they really haven't beaten anyone that great so far in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's a little bit of a con for them. So who do I think wins this game? I think Kansas wins this game. I think Kansas is more explosive offensively. I think Kansas is, is a better team. I think also the fact that Kansas has been more battle-tested and challenged is going to prove dividends. Do I think Providence can keep the game close? Absolutely. But I, I do think that Kansas has the better coach, the better talented team. I like Kansas in that matchup. So that's going to wrap up today's show. Make sure to hit the subscribe button. And also listen to the episode on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I will be posting again weekly, so I appreciate you guys tuning into the show, and I hope you guys have a good rest of your week. Thank you. If you enjoyed that clip, guys, hit that subscribe button and get more from me and the Shred Takes podcast show.